Hello, my name is Anthony Borelli, and this is the QC Podcast. The QC Pod features the people, projects, movements, and ideas that make up the Queens College community. To learn more, visit us at queenspodcastlab.org slash qcpod. Today on the QC Pod, we join Sammy Ali as he speaks with William McClure, Dean of Arts and Humanities and Professor of Japanese at Queen College, about diversity on campus, why speaking multiple languages isn't prominent, and how language barriers affect this country. That's my friend Matteo's aunt. She lives in Italy, and because she doesn't speak English and Matteo doesn't speak fluent Italian, there's a bit of a language barrier. When I was little, both my parents had to work, so I uh, had to get watched by my grandma most of the time. And my grandma speaks only Italian. She doesn't really speak English. And so since I was living in her household basically for a little bit of time, I grew up a little bit just speaking Italian. Uh, it wasn't until I started going to school and learning English that I was kind of Americanized in a sense. Just kept learning English and forgot all about Italian. Does hearing your aunt in that video, along with your relationship with your grandma, inspire you to learn Italian? Yeah, it definitely does. There's this really huge language barrier that exists between us that makes things difficult sometimes. So that mostly is the reason why I want to learn the language. This video with my aunt is basically just adding fire to the flame. Mateo's story is shared by many, including myself. I'm half Yemeni, and I can't, for the life of me, communicate with my grandmother or any of my cousins in Arabic. Until recently, I've felt no desire to learn Arabic or any other language, And as it happens, most people in the United States would probably say the same. I wanted to learn more about why that is, and so I spoke with William McClure, Dean of Arts and Humanities and a professor of Japanese at Queens College. Take a listen. To me, language learning is the key to understanding other people and other cultures. I think people think of language as sort of a barrier to understanding people. Um, But to me, learning a language well and is really should be motivated by the desire to understand other people and and be able to communicate with them, but also understand, you know, how they live and the things that they like and the things they don't like and their values and all those kinds of things. All of that is wrapped up in in language and how it is used. and how people use it to communicate with other people. Would you say that life is just more interesting as someone who can speak multiple languages? Um, From my perspective, yes, I would agree with that. Um, I think that because the language is really um, the way to gain entry into another society, 
um, you know, it allows you to see that, that di people live differently. People have different values. People have different priorities. And that a lot of that is actually reflected in their language and, and the way, you know, and then the way the language reflects back on the culture. So, I mean, to the degree that a person is interested in understanding other people um, and then also understanding themselves, because if you, if you learn about another society or learn about another person, an individual, um, you may see that they think about things in different ways in ways that you never thought about because it's just not part of your own experience. So to me, to the degree that that kind of thing is interesting to a person, then language learning and language understanding and understanding other people um, is, is a big deal, um, frankly, mm. in my view. So a, a 2016 report from the U.S. Modern Language Association found that total enrollments, uh, undergraduate and graduate, uh, in language programs other than English dropped by 9.2% between fall 2013 and fall 2016. So as we see across universities, when enrollment and student interest declines, programs are subject to uh, being put on hold or sometimes eliminated altogether. Yeah. So I, I just want to ask, as Queens College's Dean of Arts and Humanities and a professor of Japanese, have you noticed, uh, especially amongst students, a loss of interest or desire to learn languages? As it turns out, across the board, we've actually been relatively stable at Queens College. Um, so there hasn't been a sort of obvious decline in overall enrollments. I, you know, that's presumably in part because we have good teachers, good classes, you know, we have interesting things going on. Um, at Queens, the area where we actually struggle the most is in the classical languages. So, I mean, once upon a time, people would come to, you know, come to Queens College or, you know, go go to college anywhere and they would they would have studied Latin in high school um, and they would continue that in college or do these kinds of things um, and that's definitely not the case anymore um, people are not studying classical languages in high school um, and then they don't you know then they very few students will start that sort of language um, in college so that you really see it in like Latin and, and classical Greek. Yeah, you mentioned how Queens College has been relatively stable. Um, you know, I, I wanted to bring up these statistics uh, from the college that I just found. According to the Queens College's uh, 2020 student enrollment profile, 35.7% of students at Queens College speak a native language other than English. Uh, so what can you say about the diversity across Queens College in particular? Well, the, the diversity of the students is incredible. Students, we have students who say that they speak up to something like 80 languages at home. At the, and then at the college, I mean, it is remarkable. I mean, quite a while ago now, I mean, probably you know, 15 years ago at this point, I taught a class and it was called um, Saying What You Mean and Meaning What You Say. And it was a, a class about you know, linguistic differences from one language to another. Um, and in this class of 30 students, I had speakers of, I believe it was 18 native languages. Um, and there were only two people who were monolingual speakers of English. So that is actually unbelievable. Um, that is not possible really at any other institution I've ever heard of or had experience with. Um, 
and and so we have this tremendous diversity of of languages that are spoken and cultural backgrounds and all this kind of information. In my view, really, we we're I mean we're we do talk about it and we take some advantage of it, but we I think we really don't appreciate how really remarkable it is. It bears repeating that the diversity Dean McClure speaks of at Queens College is not something that can be said for the majority of the country. In fact, as it stands, half of the world population is bilingual, but only 25% of Americans can hold a conversation in a language other than English. I mean, and then, you know, why don't Americans speak another language? They don't speak it to a great degree because they don't think that they need to. Um, mm. And that has mostly that mostly has to do with the you know the economic and sort of political and cultural capital and power of the united states i mean the reality is people have you know for for many many years you know for decades accommodated us um because we were you know the most powerful nation or we were the economically most well off you know all the, all these kinds of things if you look at the countries of east asia for example Traditionally, they have always studied English as as the language of choice, um, but that is changing. And in the last ten years, you see that countries like Japan and Korea and, and other countries. It's now, I don't know that Chinese is as common as English is, but it's it's a very strong second in a way which it was not at all fifteen twenty years ago. So, I mean, you have very large, powerful countries, and people accommodate those countries because that's just the way the balance of power works. It, it feels like uh, there is this imperialist attitude mm -hmm. in the United States that everyone in the United States should speak English mm -hmm. and that English speakers shouldn't have to accommodate non-English speakers. Mm -hmm. No, and that's, that's a reflection of all of this. I mean, this is the, you know, the sentiment of sort of this nationalist sentiment that you know, people should be accommodating us and we shouldn't have to you know, adjust other people. And to some extent, that is the history of the country. People come here and they do learn English. My own family did this. I mean, my my grandparents are from Japan and they came in the 20s to the United States um, and they did not let any of their children learn Japanese. Um, it wow. was their view that you needed to speak English. Uh, my own mother became an English professor. Um, all of my aunts, none of my aunts and uncles married another Japanese person. So I am half Japanese, um, and it's the case that all of my cousins are half Japanese. So that is, you know, that is a, it's it's a traditional attitude. Yeah, you know, I, I can say the same uh, for myself, actually. My, my dad is from Yemen. Uh, I'm half Yemeni, but I never learned Arabic growing up. I was born shortly after 9-11, and I think that played a big role in mm -hmm. um you know, my parents deciding not to enforce yeah. the language on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. No, that's. I mean, that's actually true of my family as well. My, so my parents were Jap my grandparents were Japanese. They lived in California. Um, they were interred during World War II, so they ended up in the state of Colorado. That, you know, definitely played a role in all of this. That they, you know, that there was no, we're not going to be Japanese because it's not good, basically. You know? mm -hmm. um, so, how can we? sort of mitigate uh, the foreign language deficit in a place like the United States, for example, where, you know, as you point out, there's just a lot of people 
who aren't used to hearing other languages uh, being spoken mm-hmm. besides mm-hmm. English. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to sell people in the United States in some global way that everyone needs to do this. Like, I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I just don't see that working. Um, but if I can teach my students to be aware that people have different styles of mm-hmm. communication, that that will, you know, and so some people are very upfront and some people are more indirect and some people, you know, will talk in riddles, you know, people have different sort of styles of teaching or of communicating. And often these are associated with different societies and different cultures, but in fact, you see them in all, you know, you see a mix of them in any society, really. Um, that you can, I, I believe this will make people more successful in the workplace, more successful with the relationships in their lives, um, because not everyone sort of uses language in the same way. You, uh, you, you brought up success uh, in the workplace. So I, I want to mention uh, this 2019 report from the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages, or ACTFL for short, uh, that found that nine out of 10 U.S. employers report a reliance on U.S.-based employees with language skills other than English, uh, along with one-third reporting a high dependency. So how can being bilingual benefit employees in the workplace? You know, any company can teach a person pretty quickly. You know, they can train them. They can train them to do the job. They can train them to, you know, do whatever needs to be done for the company. And that's obviously it's different from company to company. Um, But no company is going to be able to invest in teaching a person another language. Um, So if you have, if you are bilingual, you will always, there is some set of people who will always notice that and, and, and appreciate that and, and provide an opportunity because of it. The ACTFL report that I brought up, it it essentially argues that uh, a world-class language education system in the U.S. would produce a pipeline of prospective employees with language skills necessary to compete uh, in a global economy. So as it relates to this trend that we see in the U.S. of, you know, lower student interest uh, in, in foreign languages, I would say Yes, we need people to get their degrees in their respective fields. And, you know, oftentimes those fields aren't language based, but we also need students to learn the hard skills of language and cultural competence. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. I mean, I'm not I'm not suggesting that people should just major in languages because I don't really think that that's true. Um, It really is the combination of things, as you've just as you've just said. Um, And then for. Queens College students in particular, so many of them come with some level of linguistic, you know, natural linguistic ability in another language that they should do their best to take advantage of that. Um, One of the things that students are not aware of is that if you are 18 and you speak another language like a typical 18 year old, you actually don't speak your language like an adult does yet. Um, so, so there is value in studying the language at an advanced level to, you know, to bring your vocabulary, to bring sophistication up to a truly adult level. What would you say to Queens College students who want to learn a language, but don't exactly know where to start? 
really, what's your reason for doing this? Are you just interested in something? Um, or is there a part of the world that you're interested in? Is there, you know, is there something, you know, do you like anime? Do you like French cooking? You know, what, what is it that you, that you might be interested in, which would motivate you to really start studying the language and the culture, um, whatever that, whatever that happens to be. Um, people need to understand that languages take a while um, and, and different languages take different amounts of time. So a language like French or Spanish, if you really knew none of it, um, those languages are actually very similar to English in a lot of respects. But the other thing is that culturally, although we think of, I mean, obviously French culture is different from Spanish culture and it's all different from, from American culture. But, but even though there are differences, there are actually a huge number of similarities. Um, and what this means is that you can gain a pretty good level of fluency in a language like Spanish, let's say, in a couple of years of classroom study. Languages like Japanese, Chinese, Korean, and Russian kinds of languages are very different from English. And it doesn't mean that they're hard. So people always say to me, is Japanese hard? And I'm always like, Japanese, no, it's actually quite, it's actually not that hard of a language. It's very easy to pronounce. The grammar is pretty straightforward. Um, but it's incredibly different. And what that means is a student has to learn everything. Okay, they, they can't, you know, they're, they're never going to be able to guess, you know, that some word in Japanese means something because there's no relationship to the sound or the history and like that. So there's a huge amount that has to be learned. So it's, it, it's a much bigger time commitment. Um, and for what you can learn in a semester of Spanish takes about a year and a half to two years in a, in a Japanese class. Okay, so it's, it's, it's that sort of difference there. Again, it's not because of difficulty, but it's because of the starting point. And then what I also tell students to gain actual fluency in a language is that after some amount of classroom study um, that you need to go to the country and you need to, you know, live in the language. I want to ask, um, as it pertains to, to Queens College, mm -hmm. do you happen to know the latest on the abroad program here? Is it still on pause? Um, do you know? Yeah, if it's yeah, resuming? we're we're um, the the people at CUNY and then and Queens College is obviously part of participating in this. We're in the final stages, hopefully, fingers crossed, of getting approval from New York State to allow our study abroad programs to start up again. Um, wow. SUNY, the state university just got approval for their plan. Um, and I believe their programs will restart next summer. Um, so this is not even for the spring. It's next summer and then obviously for next fall. Mm. Um, so we're hoping to emulate that, but we're, for whatever reasons, we're a little bit slower than SUNY. I don't know. I want to end off on a similar note to how we started this podcast. Do you have any stories you can share that are akin to the fact that you speak Japanese and maybe illustrate uh, the value of bilingualism? I mean, for me, for me personally, I mean, I, I am definitely, you know, when I, when I look at myself and my history, um, I am, so I was raised in the United States. And as I said, my, my um, mother did not speak Japanese. She actually, and, and I went to Japan for the first time when I was 14. So I didn't, you know, I didn't know Japanese. I didn't, I didn't know anything. Um, 
I went for the first time when I was 14, and it was through a high school exchange program. And I was there for like a month during the summer. But during that visit, I went and saw my grandfather's family. Um, and it, as it turned out, I was the first person to return to Japan since he had left um, in the 20s. So I was 14, I didn't really appreciate this, but for my family, this was a momentous thing. So it's, in, in, in some way, I mean, it, it completely changed my whole family because of this. Um, and so that, and, and of course, as I, my Japanese has gotten better and I've studied and I've worked there and I've lived there, and so now I'm you know, comfortable talking with them all the time. Um, for me, it just, it just gave me, it just introduced me to this whole other set of people that I knew nothing about before. Our theme music is Ethereal by Serge Quadrado, courtesy of the WFMU Free Music Archive. My name is Sammy Ali, and thank you so much for listening. been listening to the QC pod the podcast that's about all things Queens College thanks again to Sammy Ali for their work on this episode our theme music is Lake Monsters by John Flansburg of They Might Be Giants QC pod is a production of the Queens podcast lab to learn more we're on twitter at QC pod or visit us at queenspodcastlab.org slash QC pod I'm Anthony Borelli thanks for listening Thank you.